I'm excited about how technology is uh, being democratized, how it's plunging in cost. And we have one of our missions is to positively impact one billion people in the next decade. Ignition sequence The relevance of a new technology to solving problems that affect like a billion people. All great stuff happens because someone inspires someone else to do something. The next wave of innovation is going to be eroding the territory. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Exponential Africa Podcast. We're back in the booth. Back in the booth and ready to get on with our next interview. Pretty much. Uh, If you remember, it's from from last time. It's uh, McMahon organizer of the Singularity U South Africa Summit, and uh, me, Yuri, creative director of the, the show you're all going to be visiting soon. So, Mick, um, you have been a very busy, busy man. Uh, I just want to ask you, you went to the Global Summit. What can you tell me about that experience in a nutshell? So, we just came back from a trip in San Francisco at the Singularity University Global Summit. And at the Global Summit, what they do is, just before it, we had a leadership forum where over 45 countries of Singularity University alumni, chapter organizers, summit organizers, global impact challenge organizers, and country partners all get together to share and learn from each other and have this real global interaction, which is just absolutely incredible. And you get to learn so much about different cultures and different ways of doing things and how to bring that back into our own uh, continent so we can improve the way we do things and bring it back to South Africa and Africa and make sure that we actually keep evolving the way we're doing things. Let me ask you a question. Uh, we've got Mark Post coming to talk to us at the summit, and he obviously talks about clean meats, lab-grown meats. We're a real uh, – we like our meats here in South Africa. So tell me, I know you had the Impossible Burger. What's that like? We all want to know. Oh, the Impossible Burger actually tastes exactly like a real burger, and it was delicious. It was incredible. I mean, it was really, really something special to think that in the future we can have plant-based products that actually taste exactly and look exactly like meat but it isn't meat and we don't have to kill any animals to taste it it sounds like heresy to to us but if you tell me that it tastes just as real i'll buy that no it was so good okay you want to taste it and um and uh i think over the next three to five years su clearly wants to increase their footprint get as many people around the world really engaged with their vision. What, what can you tell us about what we were to expect even for us over the next three years or so? Yeah, so what was interesting this, this time at the, sing, at the Global Summit, which was at Singularity University's 10-year anniversary, where they have really had a massive impact on the world in a, on a global scale. And, and for Singularity University, they're only just getting started. And, the, and they really their roots have been uh, laid now, and now it's time to really grow the tree. And, uh, and really expand on their vision to positively impact a billion people, um, which they are well underway to, to doing. And there's some incredible, incredible new platforms that are coming from Singularity University and uh, um, you know, innovation platforms to help your company thrive in this, in this digital age, which they've been working on for a couple of years and now is complete and is launching. Um, there are some incredible programs company coming, and us, we have actually signed a Singularity U South Africa. So we went after the Global Summit and brought 10 incredible South Africans to, Sing- to Mountain View, to Silicon Valley, to get trained and certified as Singularity University faculty, which we will be announcing at uh, in a later date. I'm, I'm going to keep that a surprise for now. 
Oh, it's cool as well. We're going to get to hear from some of our new faculty at the summit, right? Which is going to be really amazing. Yeah, and we're going to be doing a lot of podcasts with them. So we're going to be hearing from all the different local South Africans around their fields of, of expertise from robotics, AR, 3D printing, education, governance, the future of cities. There's some really, really incredible people that we were lucky enough to have found and, and, and actually come and they've uh, agreed to come on this journey with us, which is really exciting. So uh, before we cut to our interview with uh, David Roberts, why don't you just give us a quick few facts about him that we remember what he's about? Sure, absolutely. So David's a really dear friend that uh, you know. After working with him for the last five years, it's been we've we've uh, and 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 chatting to him and engaging with him. He's really an incredible, incredible human being. He is the Singularity University Faculty for Disruption and Innovation and is probably one of the world's top experts on technology, disruption, innovation, exponential leadership. His passion is to help improve the lives of a billion people in the world by helping leaders create new intentions for global good and through technology disruption. You know, David has, uh, he's an MIT computer scientist, engineer, majored in AR and biocomputer engineering He's also a distinguished graduate and holds an MBA from Harvard Business School. He's probably one of the most, uh, you know, well-versed people on disruption on the on the globe. Well, that's great. Um, so we've got a little piece that will play out uh, around how we're thanking our partners for being involved, and I think we'll cut straight to him. Absolutely, without them, it wouldn't be possible. So I want to make special mention of our collaboration partner, Standard Bank. Standard Bank regards Africa as her home and makes sure that she drives her growth. And we are thrilled to have them along this journey with us. We've been building a fantastic relationship and we're very excited about the next couple of years. Our global partner, Deloitte, working with the local team has shown us how Deloitte really does live up to the mantra of delivering impact into Africa. And of course, our strategic partners, MTN, SAP, HP and Liberty have been incredible collaborators. MTN is leading the way in communications, bringing voice and data solutions to over 30 million South Africans alone. SAP Africa, which aims to bring exponential thinking to the employees, partners and customers, will have a profound impact on the organization, South Africa and the rest of the continent. HP is helping customers use technology and leverage innovation to fuel growth in Africa and the world. And finally, Liberty, which strongly leverages its years of experience to pioneer new ways to guide people towards financial freedom. Brilliant. So here we are reporting from Thailand uh, at the Singularity U Thailand Summit with the illustrious David Roberts, He's the head of uh, the faculty chair for disruption at Singularity University. David, so great to have you with us. Uh, it is great to be here with you again. Awesome. And uh, we just we wanted to to just have a you know general conversation where we could discuss some of the topics that you are um, so influential in, and, and 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 some of the things that you actually brought to South Africa last year when you came to the Singularity U South Africa Summit. That was awesome. Yeah, it was it was incredible, and I mean, you got a standing ovation. Everyone was really excited uh, by your talk, and some of the things that you said actually had real, real impact on the South African oh, environment. So, like we've had we've had feedback from from some of our clients that they've actually moved their entire budgets from from uh, you know from one place to another based on your talk, which is incredible. I love it, and it says how open the thinking is there, because uh, change, even good change, is hard. For yeah, and moving money is hard because when you move money, you moved it from somewhere else, <laughs> and somebody now doesn't have money, and so 
change is hard even when it's good so it's nice it's nice to hear that and, uh, yeah I mean one of the big banks actually uh, based their investment strategy for the year on, on, the, on your talk on 20 ways Africa can leapfrog yeah exponential technology there absolutely are at least 20 ways that Africa can leapfrog and all of them I think are, were very realistic doable uh, with different time zones from you know should have done five years or ten years ago to you know maybe 15 years out or 20 years out might be the right timing but timing ends up being really critical for the success of these things yeah and going too early or too late in fact uh, bill gross did a wonderful study in silicon valley on a hundred companies that he had invested in and a hundred that he didn't to try and determine what was the most important factor that determined either the success or failure of a startup. Oh, wow. And it, and it was very, the answer was uncommon and I wouldn't have expected it because I would have thought for sure the most important factor was the team. But team was like number two. Yeah. And number one was timing. Oh, wow. And for companies that failed, I thought again that the answer would have been team. But the number one reason that they failed was they built something that no one wanted. No, I, I, so, 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 which seems so avoidable, doesn't it? How did? They, but how would they know? Is that just timing, or was that? No, it wasn't timing. It was that you know they thought something would be really cool, and they didn't speak to a lot of customers before they started building it. And then after they'd spent a lot of money and built, you know, either a technology or a site or something, there wasn't much of a market for it. Wow. So that that probably relates to the whole idea of experiment, fail fast, try, 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 build yes. the minimum viable product. That is absolutely what that strategy of thinking is all about, is how do you avoid that? And and so now I think that's an even better strategy than before, because I didn't realize that that was the number one reason that they fail. It's not the number one reason they succeed, it's the number one reason they fail. I see, yeah, and the number one reason they succeed is from timing. Is timing. And, you know, sometimes, like, once you hear that, then maybe it becomes more obvious. You know, if you think about... WhatsApp or Uber or any of those things, like if Uber had started, you know, just two or three years earlier before, you know, people's phones had the battery power to be on and have the GPS on all the time, like it wouldn't have worked. Incredible. I think there's this, I heard somebody talk about that there's this, the technology will come out and there's this amazement and then it like stalls for a certain time and until the... The, the GDP or the economy has the capacity to allow it to exponentially rise. I think, I think we see that over and over again. And so, you know, now we kind of call it like a bubble or an inflation or a hyperinflation. But I think there is a period where, look at 3D printing, where suddenly you realize the potential. And that's not the right time to invest. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then the money all flooded in, and then people realize the limitations of the potential. And so then there's this lag, but sometimes the money has come in before they've realized the limitations. Yeah. And then there's a whole lot of upset investors, and then they all jump out, which is what's happened right now in the 3D printing market. And yet, the t- nothing's changed. It's just our understanding of it that's changed. And so the people that stayed in are going to do really well. Yeah, so actually one of our partners for this year at the Singularity South Africa Summit is HP. And HP are actually completely transforming their whole business from normal printing 
to 3D printing. They've built big, a unique steel 3D printer, and that's like a they seeing it as a multi-trillion-dollar industry, and they've they're actually making the transformation, which is really incredible to see a big company like that do this. So, is is it possible still for the the big guys? I spent some time uh, consulting with the. 3D printing lab of HP in Barcelona. Oh, wow. And it's amazing. I mean, and, and they were late. They were late entrants to it. You know, I remember thinking, like, why isn't HP into this? They're into printers. How do they not get into 3D printers? But there's an advantage, I think, if you're a big company, to not have to be at the bleeding edge. Yes. So you get to, if, if you're the big player, you get to sit back and watch the experiments and then see like oh okay well this this looks like a really good one and then and then you can be late and still pay to catch up and i think that's actually a very good strategy for larger corporations yeah, so one of the other cool things that happened post the summit is that the south african reserve bank our central bank um, put a task team together to create a south african tokenized rand and they just launched this about a few weeks ago Brilliant. where this there's this interbank payments they're piloting a new uh, process where bank the top eight banks can pay each other using this tokenized rand in a blockchain and it took them four months as a central bank to build their own blockchain i mean that's that's incredible that how cool is that right and when people see the capabilities there's a company called transferwise and so they use uh you know, a blockchain-type currency to move money around instead of wires. But it's really interesting because they don't really move the money, typically. So, like, if I wire money through TransferWise, say to, uh, say to Thailand, I'm not sure that they have Thailand yet as a client, but if they did, they don't move the money through the cryptocurrency to Thailand. They just have money already in Thailand, and they got money already in the U.S. And so they deduct money in the U.S., and then they use the money that's already in Thailand to pay, and no money actually transfers until sort of one of the accounts runs out. Oh, wow. And then they make one big like payment. So oh, the wow. fees are ultra, you know, s- slim. Man. I mean, how's that going to... So one of our other part is the Standard Bank. I mean, how's that going to affect them? Well, you know, banks have made a lot of money on all these little fees and things. I mean, it's stunning, actually, how much money they make, even on consumer accounts off of... You know, your account is below the balance or you had a bounced check. I mean, those those fees add up and, you know, no one likes them. But even the banks shouldn't like them because when people get fined, they it negatively impacts the brand of the bank. Yes. And some of the banks have realized this, like, ooh, people, when that happens, they like our bank less, which yeah. means... In a world where they have a lot of choices, they might not stay with us. You know, it's like if you run an airline and then you beat one of your passengers and pull them off the plane, everyone else is like, well, I don't really want to fly this airline anymore, right? Yeah. And so there's something that's changing there. And, and I think banks are going to need to realize that, yes, while they've had these sources of income in the past and they make them money, in a, the new world, that's not the way to make money. I just had a conversation this morning about uh, uh, how parking lots aren't going to be very valuable in the future because this guy owns all these parking lots and he was really excited about it. I was like, you know, have you thought about how autonomous cars aren't going to need parking lots? Like, they'll just double park somewhere and then when a cop comes, they'll move. Yeah. And so he was all disturbed about it. And we were talking about how cities make a lot of money off of parking tickets. But it doesn't make people like the city. 
Yes. Like when you get a parking ticket, you're kind of like, oh, I don't like the city. And so then the city's negative brand is affected. And cities have to be competitive today, right? Yes. Like people love, you know, Copenhagen because everybody's happy. And Copenhagen, I've, I'm fascinated by the city because they get into these little details like how loud a bus is allowed to be. Like they actually measure how loud buses are in Copenhagen. And if you go to Copenhagen, you don't notice this. You just know that you're kind of happy because they've thought about all these very subtle things. And so that, I think, is going to be the new future of value is what does brand really mean? Yes. Because brands matter in the future. Brands are sustainable competitive advantages. And there aren't many of them in the future. I mean, it's like network effects. Can you explain the network effect just in a bit more detail? What is yeah. the network effect? Network effects is a real sustainable competitive advantage. So if I have a company and you have a company, and then I do something cool, and all the customers are like, ah, oh, David's company did something cool, and they come to me, well, you'll just do something cool. And you'll do it slightly cooler, and then they all go back to you. And, like, and so there's not a, many things that are sustainably competitive. Yes. But one of the fascinating things when eBay came out was that Bill Gates, very early on, said, because he was like the biggest software company in the world, said, we can never compete with eBay. And everyone was like, what? You're like Microsoft. Like, I don't understand. You're like, all this money. You're like the best. What does that mean? And, you know, the explanation for it is simply this. He could build another eBay site, but no one would go to it. Because the big eBay site already had all the people. Yes. So if you want to sell something, And you can go to the big eBay site with all the people or the new cool Microsoft site that doesn't have any people. You're going to keep going to the one with all the people. Or if you're going to buy something, no matter how cool the site is, you're going to go to the site that has all the people because there's more stuff for you to choose from to buy. And so that's a network effect. And so eBay is always going to be eBay. They're always going to be the biggest like reseller of used stuff in the world. And so network effects are real competitive advantages. And if you can find them in a business and be the first... Not the first mover, but the first to critical mass. Yes. You win. Is that what we saw with like Facebook or Amazon? Or? There are definitely really strong <laughs> network effects in Facebook, but those network effects are not quite as strong as they are like for eBay. Oh, really? So, you know, Google, for example, tried to make a competitor to Facebook and it didn't do so well because everyone's kind of already on Facebook. Yes. Um, but. There is a difference between um, having a closed network effect versus an open network effect. So the telephone system yeah. was a closed network. Like if you built a different kind of a network, it wouldn't work on everyone else's network of phones. And so you would just have to have your own little sub-network, right? Like yeah. instant messengers were like that, right? Like if I had... You know, in the old world, like the AOL instant messenger right. and you had Merck, yes. like we couldn't chat, we couldn't talk. And so it was like that kind of a closed competition. Something like, uh, you know, the example you gave, that's more of an open network. Okay. And so it doesn't create such a, a closure. Facebook isn't a closed network. I could create something else. We could all go there and we could still also use Facebook. We wouldn't have to choose between the two, if that makes sense. Yes, okay. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So interesting. But, you know, business, I think should really be about how do we create sustainable competitive advantage? Because otherwise, you're just creating some cool business for some other competition. better person to like come in and crush you. And it's always just one up. One, everyone's one-upping each other. Yeah. In fact, I think the right way to be an entrepreneur 
is to really answer only one question, which is, how do I create a hundred million dollar company that has a sustainable competitive advantage? Because when you create a hundred million dollar company, everyone notices because yeah. they know that you're soon going to be a billion dollar company, which means everyone jumps in. And so when you get to the hundred million point, you got to be defensible. Because everyone's going to jump in because they know you're going to get to a billion because you're only, you know, one factor, 10x away from it. Yeah. But if you can get to 100 million and when you get to 100 million, you have all this defense, that's a great business. And that's real entrepreneurship, I think. Well, that's awesome. I think, I think a lot of the entrepreneurs listening out there are going to be really, really uh, appreciative of that. that yeah. That's the only thing they should. I mean, if they go in for money, for example, they basically should just say, I know how to create a $100 million business that'll be super defensible to a billion. No, that's awesome. And then people will get really excited about that. Because <laughs> no one likes investing in stuff where they get to $100 million and then everybody jumps in and they get crushed and killed, which actually happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I mean, I mean you, you, you must see so many different amazing companies and you travel the world discussing disruption. I mean... What actually gets you up in the morning? What motivates you to keep, to keep doing this? Yeah, that? it's funny. You know, it's not business. Um, it's, I mean, business is exciting. Uh, but I think what really gets me up is two things. One is the power of human potential. Like, I mean, when you really start thinking about the universe we live in and what we are in the universe. It's, it's so incredible to me because basically like almost anything we can think of, we can do. We can make or do, yeah. Like literally the only thing between us and everything that we can think of is time. And that to me is just strange. I think there's like a million different ways to create universes. We just happen to be in the one where anything we think of, we can actually do. The only thing between us and it is time. And, and so that is super exciting to me because we can think of like really amazing stuff and, and we're going to be able to do it all. There are very few things we like won't be able to do. The second one, though, is more troublesome, which is that we also live in a world where there are tipping points towards bad things happening. Right? Like, global warming isn't good, right? But it's not that the earth keeps getting warmer that's bad. It's that there's a tipping point where the earth moves from being a net carbon absorber to a net carbon producer. Have we reached a tipping point yet? We don't know, actually. Um, I think a lot of scientists absolutely believe we are very near it, but haven't yet crossed it. But, you know, so you think about the Earth, right? Like, uh, as, as it gets warmer, the ice caps melt. As the ice caps melt, they don't reflect as much light. And so now more light is actually on the Earth, which means it gets warmer and more ice melts. And so you can see how you've tipped, right? Yes. And, and it just keeps getting warmer and then everything melts. And yeah. so have we done that yet? I don't know. But the fact that there are tipping points in the environment should leave us very, very concerned. Because it means that there's a flunk, there's a flunk score. There's a score where you get an F, <laughs> right? Like if you get an A or a B or a C in class, you still get to take the next class. Yeah. You just got the A or the B or the C. But if you get an F, you don't get to take the next class. You have to take the class over. Yeah. 
right? How do we take Now on Earth, you get an F, you don't get the Earth over. Sure. You just get an F, you get the flunk. And tipping points matter, and we should be a lot more concerned about all the environmental things that have tipping points. I mean, I think uh, you, you care deeply about the environment, huh? I mean, uh, from knowing you and just chatting to you about, you know, uh, the type of food you eat even. Uh, yeah. Well, we're inseparable from it. You know, we like to think like, oh, I'm just this, I'm just this human and I'm separate from all this stuff. I mean, you've almost turned me vegan. You know, <laughs> but we're not, we're not separated. And, you know, you have in your body right now at least 500,000 atoms that were in like Jesus's body. Like we live in the strangest, the, the, the true dynamics uh, and quantum mechanics of our earth are just like extraordinary. And like everything is kind of blended into everything else. And, and the sooner and better that everyone realizes the truth about the universe that we're in, the more we respect it all. Yeah. And the longer that we think kind of the way we thought, you know, 2,000 years ago that like, oh, well, I'm, the, I'm this thing and I'm somehow separated from all this other stuff, that creates a lot of challenges for us. And, and as we destroy the environment, like, for example, you know, for thousands of years, we sort of thought the oceans were just so big, right? But they're not actually that big. I mean, they're big, but like you and I, like we can go to anywhere on the planet in like a day. Yeah. A hundred years ago, it would have taken me a year to get here from California and I probably wouldn't have made it. That's the other thing. Yeah. Right. But like somehow in the last hundred years, the world shrunk from being like this really big place to like, we can go anywhere in a day. And in that shrinking is the realization that we live in this little fishbowl. And everything that we do in the fishbowl that's not circular, we are poisoning ourselves. We're like a goldfish that's not, you know, just pooping, but is pooping plastic. You know, is pooping stuff that isn't going away. And you, you can't do that. And we're learning painfully now that we can't do that. I think I see there's been a major drive now towards trying to end plastic. It's been... It's brutal. I was in Hawaii. Hawaii is one of the most distant pieces of land from every other continent on the planet. Beaches covered in plastic. Really? No way. None of which comes from Hawaii. That's terrible. I didn't know that. Brutal. I was in uh, Sydney, Australia just last week. And, uh, and I had dove in the Great Barrier Reef. And 90% of the Great Barrier Reef got bleached wow. in 2016. That's, that's shocking. One third, 30%, not one third, 30% of the Great Barrier Reef died in 2016. So, like, if you want to see the Great Barrier Reef, go now, because honestly, like, in 20 years, it will be dead. It's very likely to just be dead. And this is one of those tipping points. You know, because if we lose the Earth's coral... It's like super connected to all of the fish in the ocean. And most of the, a lot of the world is living off the fish in the ocean. And so when the fish go away, like these problems will compound. And uh, We don't know so how we're, we're, uh, it's going to affect yeah. us. Uh, I wanted to just turn, turn our focus to Africa a bit. Yeah, great. Um, you know, some of the things you mentioned about leapfrogging in Africa, about transportation. Yeah. And, you know, where has that... Have you, have you heard of Zipline, the, the company that's transferring... Using drones and... Uh, yeah. I mean, much more exciting than Zipline now is... Uh, I'll show a video today, this afternoon, of uh, a person flying in a passenger drone. 
Yeah. In fact, I won't show it. I have a video of two people flying in the passenger drone. So we already got two person passenger drones. And super safe. I mean, Amazing. And do you think I mean do you think this is gonna help Africa, you know? Well it'll transform it because Africa if Africa built the roads that it needs, I mean it'll be like two trillion dollars. And I know people think they're not paying for the road, but they're paying for the road. Yeah. They're paying for the road. It's coming out of their taxes. It's coming out of the productivity of their nations. Like, they're going to pay for it one way or the other. They're going to pay for it in productivity and advancement. And, like, if you don't have to build the roads, you're never going to have to build those roads. And people say, well, the passenger drones, though, they use up more power. But solar's exponential. So the price of power has been crashing. Like 1977, it was like almost $80 a watt. That's crazy. And you know, a couple years ago, it's only like 30 cents a watt. Like that's 200 times less. And so if people get this, if they understand the fact that some of these things, like solar exponential, they'll realize power isn't going to cost anything in the future. It'll be meaningless. And the fact that a passenger drone uses maybe slightly more power than a car, it'll just be meaningless. It's not... What'll be important is that you'll be able to go from one place to another place in Africa and not be driving on a piece of concrete that somebody spent, you know, six million dollars a mile to make. It's probably a much better view as well. It's a beautiful Much more view. enjoyable ride. And it'll, I, it'll end up being far safer, believe it or not. Because, I mean, on a passenger drone, like, let's say there's four blades, there's only four moving parts. I mean, a car, a car engine has 2,000 moving parts, a combustion engine. You know, the car itself, I think, I don't even know, I think it's like 14,000 moving parts on a car. Like, it's so much more complex. So this, it'll be revolutionary. But there's all, you know, every space you name, you name a space. Education. So one of our goals is to future-proof Africa, as, as you know, are uh, uh, saying. So... You know, in terms of education and, and, and the VR that's coming out lately, I mean, have you played with the Oculus Go? Yeah. So, education, everyone knows, is broken. And yet, nothing's changed. Like, everyone wants to disrupt education, but everyone's wanted to disrupt education for like 50 years, and nothing's changed. The challenge, I think, is this we've created a test. <laughs> Like in the U.S., you know, it's the SAT and the ACT. It's like this test. And this test, how you do on this test determines what college you go to. Yeah. has a huge impact on what college you go to. And so we educate to get you to do well on the test. But the test has like absolutely nothing to do with your success in life. Like nothing. There's like no correlation. In fact, if anything, I think there's probably negative. It actually pulls you back in life, yeah. And it's because we're not teaching the right stuff. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, the other day I was in uh, I, was, I was in this VR world, this platform, and I, you can take classes and you can do all these things. So imagine like a, a young kid in Africa, you won't have the opportunity to travel or go see these incredible things, but with virtual reality, he might be able to experience them still and yeah. learn about it. Yeah, I mean, there is some cool stuff that's happening that will greatly impact people in Africa. One of them is you know the recent X Prize that allows it teaches people within like eighteen months how yes, to read and write. Like, like that's going to be that's going to impact all of the people that don't generally have the opportunity to read and write. And in our world, you got to read and write. Yeah, um, we actually entered that uh, that competition. Ah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, but then we never made the the final five, and we actually had to pull out because we just got involved with Singularity at the time, so we didn't have a lot of time to. 
to get behind it. That's kind of cool that he did it, though. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like I had a really great education. But 98% of it I have never used. Right? Like... Where did you, what did you, what education did you get? Did you go to... Harvard, MIT, really great colleges, and I had a really great high school and a great, like, but I've never used it. And honestly, I haven't used it because it really wasn't the right stuff to learn. Right? I mean, even Peter Diamandis uh, has talked about this. I mean, like, neither of us have ever had to factor a polynomial in our life. (laughs) And so why didn't someone teach me how to, like, be really healthy? or how to create wealth, or how to lead, or how to have great relationships, or how to, you know, like, those are the things that really matter. And imagine if a world taught us those things. I mean, we'd we'd have a different world. Which hopefully this exponential future is going to lead to that direction, because if once the machines are doing all these mundane task for us and all, the, all these, these, these repeatable jobs, we're going to have a lot more time to, to focus on those yeah. things. Right? Yeah, and I'm not even a believer in jobs. I mean, honestly, wealthy people don't teach their kids how to get a job. Because they know, I mean, you can go through life thinking, how do I get a job? How do I get employed? Or you go through life thinking, how do I become an owner? And people who are wealthy know that they should be owners. Like, you want to be an owner. You don't want to, like... You basically want to have a pool of money that is earning you interest, which you are living off of, so that you can do whatever you want. Like, if you're an employee, you will typically get paid just enough so that you will have to be an employee, like, the whole rest of your life. And then you'll be lucky if you actually saved enough in the end because you made good decisions that you'll have a pool of money that you can then survive on. Like, that, that's not even a smart education process so we have a lot of things that are broken (laughs) but I'm really optimistic that we're going to fix a lot of them too and we'll fix a lot of them because technology will make things easier and uh, I mean Ray's predictions what do you think about all these predictions about 2029 and I think he's really good at it I'm really stunned at some of the recent ones (laughs) what are the recent ones well the recent one was it used to be 2049 when the average human lifespan was going to increase by a year every year. Yes. So I've been thinking in my head, okay, i got to make it to 2049. <laughs> <laughs> now it's 2029. But now it's 2029. That's only 12 years away. Really? Like, I only have to live 12 years longer where the average human lifespan is going to increase by a year every year? Like, because the point is that it doesn't stay that way, though, right? Like, then it starts getting better. After that, the average human lifespan will increase by a year every six months. Wow. Like every, like, right? Like it'll keep continuing to get shorter and shorter. And what's that called? Longest longevity? Escape velocity. Yeah, right. And, and really, it wasn't Ray. I think it was um, Aubrey de Grey uh, who, who really came up with that concept. But Ray is the one giving those new estimates. And, you know, what Ray gets, I think, that other people don't get is that he can see the bigger picture, right? Like if you ask a doctor, do you think we're going to be able to live forever? Like doctors would be like, no, it's ridiculous. Like we've never been able, we've been working on that problem for, you know, hundreds of years, right? And so like they're not thinking, oh, by the way, 
you know, because of the developments with CRISPR, Cas9, and DNA reading, and databases, and AI, like, they're not thinking all that stuff, because that's not in their field. But Ray is. And so Ray is saying to himself, not when does medicine get good enough that you'll be able to fix everything on me. Ray's thinking to himself, how soon do I get a smarter than human computer? Because what's the first thing you're going to ask a smarter than human computer to do? Right? You know, if you get three wishes, you're, you're, one of those three wishes should be that you get a lot more wishes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so one of those wishes is figure out how to make sure I don't die. <laughs> And, and we'll have really smart computers working on really hard stuff. And one of those things will be that. Awesome. Um, we've actually got Yuri in the studio. He wants to ask something. Yeah, I really just wanted to ask you, what kind of frame of mind would you want to put people in to be able to embrace the kinds of things that you share, almost so that they can model the way they think kind of how you think? Yeah. How do you access that? How do people uh, access Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh... I probably think about three things that way. Um, compassion, courage, and humility. And, and this is why. If, you mi- if you're missing one of those, <laughs> let's say you miss, you're missing humility. <laughs> um, then if you're missing humility, you kind of think you know everything. <laughs> and then you're not learning. And that could have worked like a couple hundred years ago. Because the world didn't change very much. And so you could actually kind of know a lot of stuff in like 1800. And by 1840, you'd still be good. But clearly that doesn't work anymore. Because the world changes so much. And so humility actually becomes a really important part of our ability to learn. And more importantly, our ability to relate to other people. And people respect people who are humble. We tend to actually not really get drawn to people that aren't. With some exceptions. Courage. If you're not courageous, you won't be bold. If you're not bold, you won't take risks. If you don't take risks, you'll never learn. And if you don't learn, you'd never get better, which means everyone else is and you're left behind. Uh, Compassion. If you can't be empathetic with somebody else, then you will think that you're in the world isolated and you're not because the truth is that you're like unbelievably connected and it's not just human to human. So if you don't get the empathy... You're left alone. And the reality is that in our world, all possibilities happen, not because of a single person, but because a single person is able to engage, um, uh, evangelize, uh, enable somebody else to join them in an effort. Like all great stuff happens because someone inspires someone else to do something. (laughs) And without empathy, you can't do it. You know, you can go fast alone, but you can't go far. <laughs> you want to go far, you gotta go with other people. So, um, compassion, courage, and it's kind of a cross, but humility. I think those would be the three. And we don't teach those. That's what's so strange. <laughs> that is so strange. This education has got to change. Has to change. Well, part of the challenge is that we're teaching the same thing like that the British colonialists wanted people to learn like a hundred years ago. So it's like you know, learn. I want you to learn math so you can do the accounting, so you can pay me. <laughs> you know, it was like all this stuff, right? So the challenge in twisting it is going to be that right now, most people who become teachers are auditory learners. 
80% of teachers, I believe, are, are auditory learners. So they like to write words on the board. They like to talk. But 75% of the population are visual learners. So you got all these visual learners in the class, and you got this auditory teacher up front writing words on the board and everyone just wants to see photos and schematics and actually see stuff working and then you got kinesthetic learners that actually like learn by doing stuff although they're a much smaller percentage and so we have this immediate disconnect just in the style of teaching and technology I think is really going to help us get past a lot of that so people will be able to learn the key is will we grasp that the new technologies are not to learn the old stuff that we've been teaching and to learn these new, better things. We need to learn how to learn in a new way. Yeah, and if you ask people, like, what do you really want? I, I think most people say the same thing. They're like, you know, I, I want to be happy. And we don't teach happiness. And our brains actually don't really know how to be happy easily. Our brains know how to, like, survive. <laughs> We, we got three million years of evolution to know how to survive. You can be miserable, actually, all through life, but your brain will figure out how to survive. <laughs> and so now I think we, we've learned to survive well enough that we can start focusing on, hey, how do we teach people how to be happy in life? Have you found any hacks for yourself? You wake up half an hour early in the morning, you do this. Little shortcuts. Yeah, definitely. Would you share The biggest one is uh, being grateful. In fact, you can be pretty much pissed off, upset, demotivated, unhappy. And then if you think about like three or four things that you're really grateful for, like all none of that matters. It'll just disappear that fast. Like literally, it'll disappear in one minute. <laughs> and I love doing it with other people too. If somebody's like kind of depressed or something like that, it's like you just sit down and you're like, tell me three of the most grateful things in your life that you're grateful for. And it's like, boom, they're out of it. Like, literally, use it. Like our, our emotions are so malleable. But most people go through life thinking that other people are determining their emotions. I, I'm one of these. So I, I think I mentioned this when we were at that South Africa thing, yeah. right? Like, where, where I thought that this person was, like, irritating me. <laughs> like, every time I was around this person, they were irritating me. And so the idea that someone else irritates me is absurd. I can only irritate myself. I can, you can only irritate yourself. <laughs> but it takes a while before you realize that. And that's the beautiful thing about being a human. You can actually pull yourself out yeah. and look at the situation from, from above. Like Ray Dalio says that. You need to sort of, sometimes you need to look from, from a higher self at, at the whole situation. That As humans, we have that unique ability to actually take ourselves out and look in and, and, and have this sort of awareness about yeah. the situation. And we can, that's how we can change it. And the ownership that our interpretation, our interpretation of things, determines our emotion. So, like, if you don't like your emotion, it's not like cause somebody else is, like, sticking some emotion in you. Like, that's, that's an untruth that we've, like, lived with most of our life. It's, oh, I get it. I... I've interpreted this in such a way that I like now feel sad or that I now feel mad. Stoicism. Stoicism. But it's not being emotionless because we can choose the interpretation. You know, if a dog comes up and licks you in the face, you can either be like, ah, this dog licked me in the face, or you'd be like, that was awesome. You get to choose. So why would you choose misery? 
So this has been really exhilarating. Thanks so much. I think ah, we've run totally out of time. My pleasure. Uh, we know you've got to talk in, in, in about oh, in yeah, 40 gosh. minutes. I better go do um, that. <laughs> so thank you so much. Uh, we've had a really great time. And, uh, awesome. Loved it. We can't wait to see you in October at the, at the summit for South Thanks, guys. Always great working with you. Hope we get to do it again sometime. Awesome. Thanks Cheers, so much. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Wow. Well, that was uh, as inspirational as always. Absolutely love David. What a legend. Seriously, we are so grateful that he joined us in this podcast and he will be joining us at the Singularity Youth South Africa Summit on the 15th and 16th of October this year. For Africa 2.0, that's going to be a blockbuster of a talk. It is going to be special and we're really excited to, to chat to him. Cool. And next up on, our, on the next podcast, you'll hear uh, us talk to Thomas Kreischer. Yes, absolutely. Thomas Kreese, who's the VP of... Uh, community and global ecosystems at Singularity University. Cool. So remember to subscribe, tell your friends about us, and uh, we'll catch you soon. Catch you soon. <laughs>